once there was a, a man who I met overseas. Uh, we were sitting on a porch and I asked him how, he, how it was that he became a Christian. And he told me about a dream he experienced. He was very well educated. He was very well traveled, came from a very good family. He had been a lot of places in Europe and he even made the trip to Mecca in Saudi Arabia. You might imagine he was born and raised a Muslim. I asked him all about that trip to Mecca. He told me that just after the trip to that shrine, he, he came home and he started having these strange dreams. The dreams always had this big shining man somewhere in the dream. And all around him were little people and the big shining man had a sword, a sword in his hand and a sword that came out of his mouth. It might sound familiar vaguely to some of you. Uh, everyone backed away from this big shining man and when he spoke, everyone stopped because it was like he was speaking this amazing truth. The guy kept having this dream and the voice that accompanied the dream said, a man like this will someday appear and will judge the world. And as it kept replaying in his mind, he started to seek out this, what could it possibly mean? And this dream actually drove him to seek truth. He found his way into the kingdom of God through a dream. Probably you've heard of stories like that as well. Um, when you mix fantasy and reality together, you come up with some doozies of dreams, don't you? Man, if you're a hunter, you dream of like a 27-point buck running across the field. You know, if you're a fisherman, you think of this bass that's like eight pounds and it's bending your rod in half. Or if you're a, a kid dreaming of uh, playing for the bills, you're catching that pass at the end zone or whatever. It's just that, that kind of dream. And I don't know, dreams are part fantasy and part reality. It could be like an old friend of yours from chemistry class helps you break out of prison. You're going like, how did that, how did that happen? Where'd that come from? Or you might be playing Monopoly in Japan with a bird and the bird wins. It's like, it's bizarre. How did that, where did that come from? What does that mean? A minister friend of mine has this reoccurring dream of driving to a distant church on a Sunday morning but he loses his way and he can't find his sermon notes and he's late and when he arrives all the people are out in front waiting for him and he gets there and somehow he's lost all his clothes it's like what 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 and he keeps it's like interpret that dream figure that out crazy stuff solomon said a dream comes when there are many cares have you found that true in your life when you have a lot of stuff going on in your life and then you throw all this into the mixer and mix it all up and out pops this part fantasy, part reality dream. There's plenty of dreams in the Bible. People that followed God closely like Peter and Jacob had dreams. And then there's people who were distant from God, worshiped other gods like the king 
of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Boy, did he have a crazy dream that I want to tell you about this morning. He called all of his advisors together and he said, here's the deal. I'm the king. You're not. This is what I firmly decided. If you don't tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I'll have you cut into pieces. <laughs> Man, now think about that. The person sitting next to you, just think about this. Do you have any idea what that person sitting next to you dreamed last night and what their dream means? The king's counselor said, uh, no king has ever asked his advisors such a thing as this. No one can reveal a dream and the interpretation except the gods and they don't live among men. So the king was angry and he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to order your execution unless one of you wise guys can come through and tell me what I dreamed and what it means. That group of advisors included a man named Daniel from the Bible that you are familiar with. He was a refugee from Judah, taken there in a deportation. Daniel learned about the problem. He formed a prayer group. He asked for time. He prayed to God for wisdom and mercy and grace. And the answer was revealed. I'm cutting Daniel chapter 2 down into bite-sized, quick sizes for us, quick chunks for us. I'd like to read for you a portion of it, though. Daniel said, God has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying on the bed are these. The revealer of mysteries showed you what's going to happen. Your majesty looked, and before you stood a large statue, as an enormous dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The king of the, or the head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partially of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like ch chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. That's a whopper. Wow. Most of us dream dreams and then forget a lot of the details of the dreams. You might remember somebody what was in it, but you can't put all that back together in your memory. But Daniel was blessed by God to recall all the details of the king's dream. At this point, I'd like you to do an in-church art project, if you would. Grab a pen, grab a piece of paper if you can find one close to you, and just do me a favor of drawing a comic strip or drawing this dream out. Just draw the object out and a rock smashing into it. Don't forget the five parts of the, of the dream. You, you can, you have my permission. This is Children's Church. Go for it. Um, this huge statue was uh, dominating, right? It was stunning. And then this rock rolls down and blows it all away. It smashes it to pieces. Uh, then this rock turns into a mountain. Wow. 
It's a pretty freaky dream, and you might wonder what kind of medication the king was using that night before he went to sleep. Uh, and the king is amazed by Daniel's explanation. Uh, the statue, gold, silver, is very common material to a king. A statue is very common to a king in a pagan culture. He sees those all the time. But the other part that's bizarre is this rock that becomes like a bowling ball and knocks down the statue. It's uncommon. So common and uncommon are mixed together. That's how our dreams are. But what is more incredible, do you think, uh, being able to tell your friend next to you the dream that they had last night or being able to interpret every detail of the dream that your friend had last night. Daniel did both. It's pretty amazing. You can read the, the complete story in Daniel chapter 2. I encourage you to do it. Uh, I'm just giving you the gist of it this morning. This is the interpretation. This is about you. Pay attention. After you, another king will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all others. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it's, itself will endure forever. This is about you. Pretty amazing stuff. Well, there's a history of world powers that we could put together today. The gold Daniel identifies as Nebuchadnezzar, the empire of Babylon who ruled the world at that time. Silver came along next. He says, a kingdom inferior to yours. As you may know, Daniel served in the next kingdom that came. That was the kingdom of the Persians and the Medes who dethroned Babylon. And then next came another kingdom made of bronze, not as strong, as, not as powerful as gold and silver, but still very powerful during the time between the Old Testaments and the New Testaments, the Greeks under Alexander the Great ruled for a time, 15, 20 years or so. They, they stretched all the way from Greece to India. But uh, Alexander the Great died at age 32 or 33, and that was that. Then along came the iron, and historians point to the nation uh, or the kingdom of Rome, the Roman Empire, who was in charge during the days of Jesus. And then the dream talks about iron and clay mixed together, and there's uh, discussion about that, and people are trying to identify what that means. Uh, it's a divided kingdom is what it means, but that's about as far as I would go with it for now. The point is that kingdoms come and kingdoms go, but one kingdom endures forever. Now, we have been blessed to live in this country in, in the most prosperous time in history. Thank God we have this double blessing of being a citizen of the United States and also a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. It's 
the double blessing. And wow, we have lots to give thanks for. But who knows how long it will last. Then there was once a time when the sun never set on the British Empire. As you can see from Daniel's interpretation, power passes from one kingdom to another to another all through history. But in the time of those kings, Daniel said, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. It's not of human origin. It isn't maintained by military power or is not really concerned about foreign policy. It's a spiritual kingdom dealing with the hearts of people. I'd like to let the Bible interpret the Bible rather than me try to tell you how smart I am. Here's what Jesus said about his kingdom in Matthew chapter 16. He asked those present, who do people say I am? And it was Peter who said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Do you see the similarities with what Daniel has already predicted? And then the next words of Jesus, he says to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And from there, you can start reading about the kingdom of God in the book of Matthew. Matthew mentions kingdom over 50 times in his book. The book of Acts, moving forward, tells us how the kingdom was inaugurated when 3,000 people were baptized on one day. And as we read through the book of Acts, you see the word kingdom is used less and less, and the word church is used more and more. Being part of the church means you're part of the kingdom. I get that from the book of Colossians where it says he has rescued you from the kingdom of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. There it is. This month we're going to look at word pictures for the church. Just see how the church is portrayed in scriptures and we can't cover them all because there are so many, but today's picture of the church is kingdom. You have been rescued by your king. You've left that old kingdom and entered into a new kingdom, a kingdom that seeks first God and his righteousness. Verse 44 tells us from Daniel chapter 2 that this kingdom is indestructible. Wow, that's different because all the kingdoms up to this point have been destructible, right? Starting with Nebuchadnezzar and further. This is a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It will crush all those other kingdoms. Every civilization has some kind of government. The, the Native Americans had tribal leaders. They had chiefs. And the Mideast has their sultans. And there's been dictators. And there's been emperors. And many are convinced the best form of government is a republic where we elect our representatives. But I think there's even a better form of government it's a monarchy with a really sharp, kind, benevolent king. That's what we have in the kingdom of God. A kingdom needs a king. It needs citizens. It needs a territory. It needs laws. That's the kingdom of God. A king who loved his people so much 
that he gave his life for them. What kind of a king does that? History explains for us how, how many powerful leaders rise up and it looks like it's all over for the church and this, this kingdom is going to just rule with an iron fist and that's the way it's going to be and don't ask any questions. And then history shows that those very same kingdoms disappear from history and someone else rises to take their place. Yet the church, the kingdom of God, just carries on. It doesn't look like it could or should, but it just carries on. Generation after generation through good times and bad, it just carries on. I love this quote that I discovered from J.C. Ryle. He says, fear not when ministers die and saints are taken away. Christ can ever maintain his own cause. He will raise up better servants and brighter stars. The stars are all his in his right hand. Leave off the anxious thoughts about the future. All is going well, though our eyes may not see it. The kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. Man, I love that. Who's in control here? Who's got history in the palm of his hand? History is his story, and that's why this is about you. You are part of that kingdom. Verse 35 tells us this kingdom is unstoppable. Now, remember that game? I don't know if they still play this game or not today, but back in the day, there was a game called King of the Hill. Okay? There's a little knoll someplace or a little bump in the ground. And each person tries to fight his way to the top of that knoll and try to be the king of the hill. But there's a lot of challengers. All the neighborhood kids are there and a couple dogs too. And they're coming after you. And there's barking and there's rolling in the grass and there's fighting. And then the tallest, toughest kid gets to the top of the hill and looks like it's over. He's the king of the hill. But no, wait, all the little munchkins get together and they charge and they knock him down and there's a new king of the hill in just a minute. That is the, the kingdom of God. Leaders come and leaders go, but there will never be a day when God's kingdom slips from its position. This kingdom is different. It's, it's not geographical. It cuts across cultures and time. It doesn't overpower nations with military force. It doesn't try to bend peace through some diplomacy. It just attracts members through truth and love and service. It has really no visible weapons, but its power and its presence fill the whole earth. This ancient dream of a pagan king has come true by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The church is not about property. It doesn't put forth candidates for public office. The church just takes a licking and keeps on ticking. It isn't about savings accounts or magnificent cathedrals or powerful speakers. The kingdom of God is about ruling the hearts of men and women. And when it does, amazing things happen. Growing up in the late 50s near Cleveland, Every little boy had a hero. His name was Rocky Calavito. He played right field for the Cleveland Indians. And uh, he led the league in home runs in 1960. 
And during this time of his heyday, some newspaper guy started a slogan that just was carried through by all the fans. His name was Rocky Calavito. And if he struck out four times in the game, it didn't matter. It was, the slogan was, don't knock the rock. Don't knock the rock, man. He's our guy. Don't mess with him. He'll come through. Just give him time. Don't knock the rock. And that same sentiment expresses our affection for the kingdom of God. It comes from Daniel chapter 2. The rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. I know you don't have to look very far to see the flaws in the church. The church is made up of flawed people who have been redeemed by the blood of God, blood of Christ. I know in the church there's hypocrisy and there's apathy. And sometimes the church turns into a social club or just a discussion group. And sometimes the church ignores the plain teaching of Scripture. But don't knock the rock. The rock is firm and indestructible and will last forever. Bill Gaither wrote a song called The Church Triumphant. I just want to quote just a short paragraph. He says, there have been times of affluence and prosperity when the church's message was nearly diluted into oblivion by those who sought to make it socially attractive and neatly organized and financially profitable. It's been gold-plated, draped in purple, encrusted with jewels, endorsed by celebrities. It's been misrepresented, ridiculed, flattered, murdered, or stilled. But on through the ages, it marches the church, God's church, alive and well. I know there are critics. I hear them. I'm part of the reason there's critics, because I'm flawed. I hear it when people say, you're hypocrites. And it's true. But I know this. When the church puts down its penniness and unites together and prays hard, amazing things happen. And you guys have been part of it and experienced it yourself. Years ago, I went with a group on a short-term trip to Panama. Um, my dad went with me. Some of you all remember Mr. Walker. He went with me. Uh, we, and about a week of that trip, went out across a bay and up a river to a remote village. We were loaded down with plastic plumbing pipe, PVC white pipe, lots of it. Our purpose was to go up to a mountain stream above a village and lay the pipe all the way back down so this remote village could finally have good water for the first time in their existence. Not the government, not the United Nations, not the military had thought it important to get fresh water to that village. But the church, the church bought the pipe and provided the manpower and paid their own way and used their own vacation time to do the work that will never, never be in headlines. American Christians joined Panamanian Christians. Nobody cared who was who. They were just united in Christ, kingdom workers that worked for the glory of their king. 
And you can multiply that story by a million. Today, as you heard, one of Kathy's friends is going to do similar work in Uganda. Kingdom people are out there right now doing that same kind of work, and you have shared in it. And you'll probably do some of that this week. You won't get recognized. You won't earn the Nobel Peace Prize. But you're representing the king of kings and his kingdom on this earth. Don't knock the rock. In northern India, there's a town called Punjab. It's, I don't know if that's how you say it or not, but it's a town of about 100,000 people. And a man named Ajay was invited there by some friends to preach the good news of the kingdom. This would be the first time that the message of Christ would ever be preached in that town as far as anybody knew. But in the same town, there was a radical training center for extremists, Hindu extremists, who saw this as an opportunity to cause trouble. So they, first of all, tore down all the signs advertising the event. And then they went to the authorities and they got on the radio too and they threatened to cause a riot if these meetings were held. The local officials went to Ajay when he arrived and said, look, we can't let you go through with this. This is going to cause too much trouble. But Ajay was determined. He signed an agreement which said, if a riot breaks out during these meetings, I understand that I could be shot. On the stage with him that first night was the chief of police and several of his staff armed with guns. They were instructed by the chief, if trouble breaks out, you watch me and I will give you the sing signal. And when I do, you must shoot this man. It would be about that time that I would cancel the event. Ajay started preaching. For 45 minutes, he told of the love and mercy of the king, using the story of the prodigal son whose dad waited for him to come back home and offered him a party when he did. Ajay said it was very quiet. He didn't know what to make of it. He was expecting noise, at least, and trouble, but he said he didn't expect quiet. He said the people were so hungry to hear that when he finished, the police chief told him, I have been taught to hate Christians my whole life, but this is the first time I ever heard of the love of God. Every person must hear this message. I will make arrangements for you to go and tell this message to other towns, and I will send my men with you to protect you from any trouble. Don't knock the rock. You're going to lose every time. The rock becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. They said before, the sun never set on the British Empire. The sun never sets on the kingdom of God, does it? It's everywhere and it's growing. Walter Wink said, Killing Jesus and his kingdom was like trying to destroy a dandelion by blowing on its fuzzy head. Good luck with that. You guys are part of this kingdom today. 
You are doubly blessed because you are a citizen of the United States of America and enjoy all the blessings of freedom. And even more, you are the citizens of the kingdom of God that will last forever with untold blessing. Don't knock the rock. Jesus said, I will build my church. I'm not going to build a bingo hall. I'm not going to build a music hall. I'm not going to build a social club. It's a people who have been adopted into God's family, rescued from darkness and brought into the kingdom of his dear son, whom he loves, and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The church belongs to God, and his kingdom will fill the whole earth, not because I said so, but because he said so. I need to invite the worship team up as I close here. Ladies and gentlemen, you are part of something that will last forever. You have this double blessing. Citizenship in this great country. Citizenship in the kingdom of God. But perhaps there's some people here today who aren't part of the kingdom of God, never knew how to enter in, never knew how to get the citizenship. It's a simple process. It's not easy. But it's simple. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So you got to put him first if you're going to be part of this citizenship and this kingdom. You die to your old ways, you live a brand new life in him. On the day of Pentecost, when people asked Peter, what should they do? He just said simply, repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how you get in. If you'd like to do that, we'd love to help you.